Hi, and welcome to today's episode of The Property Pod. My name's Libby, and today I'm joined by Josh and Rishi. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. And they're from RB Financial Advisors, and today we're going to discuss everything you need to know about buy-to-let mortgages. Um, So guys, could you provide a brief overview of what sets apart buy-to-let mortgages from regular residential mortgages? Uh, Yeah, so obviously a residential mortgage is for a property that the uh, applicant, should I say, is going to be living in the property um, solely for residential purposes. Um, No business um, work should be done from that property unless obviously you make the the lender aware, Mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. And then, yeah, so buy-to-let is solely for the purpose of rental income. Um, In most cases, um, they're not regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. However, um, sometimes it can be if you've had a relative live in the property that they can become regulated, um, but that's obviously determined by the application process and, and the lender. And there's normally um, minimum deposit requirements. Um, so for a buy-to-let, normally we would advise a minimum deposit of 25%. Um, however, there are some lenders that will do slightly less than that, but it does vary. But yeah, higher deposits mainly for, for investment properties. Yeah. Okay. And how does a prospective rental income of a property influence the approval process for a buy-to-let mortgage? So buy-to-let mortgages, that they're primarily assessed on what rental income the property can achieve. Um, and that's determined by essentially the client and the mortgage advisor kind of having a conversation of saying, what do you think this property is going to rent out? Obviously, there's going to be platforms like right, Zoopla that, that will obviously get like gauge um, the rental income. But we'll primarily go on that research and what the client thinks. We'll then submit the mortgage application and then it will go through its assessment and then the lender will instruct a surveyor to go out and value the property. Now they value the property for mortgage purposes, primarily how much is the property worth, is it worth that and what they're buying it for um, or remortgaging it for um, and what rental income it can achieve. And then the lender will always go on what the surveyor thinks. So it will be that value on a monthly basis for the rental which will determine how much they'll lend. So a majority of lenders will require a minimum of income as well, normally around 25,000 as well, but it is primarily focused on what rents achieve at normally a stress test of whatever the lender implements, which is normally the pay rate plus 1%. So what we mean by pay rate is whatever the interest rate that they are willing to, to provide plus 1% of that and then assessed at 125% or 145%, but it depends on certain criteria of that particular client as well. Usually tax bracket as well, that comes into play, doesn't it? Exactly. So what tax bracket you're at determines what, say, stress rates, one, two, five, one, four, five percent So, mm. um, yeah. And are there any specific property types that are not eligible for buy-to-let mortgages? Uh, not necessarily. Um, it's not like whether it's a flat house or, or whether how many bedrooms it's got, they're, they're gonna decline the application. Don't get me wrong, commercial property, if say the flat's above commercial, fish and chip shops, um, takeaways and stuff like that, you can be restricted to mm-hmm. lending. Only certain lenders may agree with it. Um, typical construction, like if whether it's brick, block, wood, sometimes that can um, determine the application being agreed or not, but then there are specific lenders that will allow you to, to lend on that certain property. Um, there is obviously HMOs that you have to go to a specific um, lender for. Not all lenders may do a HMO, um, so that's a household multiple occupancy. So it's like one say house, but it's got six or seven bedrooms with locks to each room and one kitchen and stuff like that. Mm. That's when you can the criteria may get a bit tricky. But but yeah, 
nine times out of ten, the, the specific property is okay to, mm. to be lent upon on a buy-to-let. And apart from the mortgage itself, are there any other costs that landlords should take into account, do you think? Um, yeah, so you've, there's obviously application fees, product fees for the mortgages, um, valuation fees if the lender obviously requests them, solicitors costs as well. Um, and then there is that surcharge to your stamp duty as well if it's a second property. Um, there's an additional 3% stamp charge, stamp duty charge that they should take into account. Um, apart from that, I, I suppose there's additional insurances that, that, that they may need to take into account. Um, but but yeah, that, that's it really. Um, when, when purchasing it, there may be additional costs, as I said, insurance and, and extra. But, but yeah, the ones that I've, I've mentioned are the, the main ones that they should take into account. Okay, great. And are there any noteworthy tax considerations associated with buy-to-let properties? So firstly, we'd always advise to speak to an accountant because obviously that's their bread and butter. Um, however, over sort of the last five to seven years, the government have implemented some, some new tax rules, um, if you will. Um, one of the main ones is uh, if you were fortunate enough to be able to purchase another property for investment purposes, they'll charge you an additional 3% in stamp duty of the purchase price plus normal stamp duty. Um, however, lenders, more and more over these implementations that the government have set, they've realised that other landlords that are primarily focusing as a, as a business will set up their own limited companies purely for the buying and selling of investment properties. Um, and limited companies is like standard limited company. However, what they're called in like the mortgage market is special purpose vehicles. So they'll have... S- sort of certain SIC codes where a lender and a bank will require that to be able to lend or remortgage on that property. Then you get certain breaks, shall we say, and more leniency when it comes to assessing a buy-to-let property through that, um, which makes it more overall beneficial. Just adding on to the SPV as well, they have to be set up for the sole purpose of purchasing a property. Mm -hmm. You can have, say, a building firm that the he owns his limited company and now wants to purchase a property through that limited company. He'd have to set a separate limited company to be able to purchase the, the property. So they have to be, have the sole purpose of, of buying and, and renting properties. So the investment as well. Yeah. And for those interested in multiple properties, how does managing a buy to let portfolio affect mortgage arrangements? Do you think? Um, so again, it's, it comes down to criteria. Usually when you own four or more properties, your class as a portfolio landlord and, um, individual lenders will have their own criteria. So use an example, one may say you can't exceed a million pounds worth of lending or you can't have more than three buy-to-let mortgages with us as a whole. So if you use, say, the Lloyds Banking Group, for instance, you can't have more than four with the Lloyds Banking Group um, for us to accept it. So that has its own implications, if that's the word to use. Um, So it could sort of... Um, take a negative step on trying to purchase more properties. However, there are lenders out there that have now, obviously, they're they're seeing the the buy-to-let market, well, say previously, seeing the buy-to-let market growth, although it's it's sort of steadied now, if not declining, um, only in, in, say, new purchases. Obviously, I I feel there'll always be a market for buy-to-lets. But, yeah, going back to it, a lot of lenders are now sort of uh, growing their criteria um, to say, actually, we're going to expand from four to ten, or you can have one million lending to two and a half million lending. So, um, so yeah, it, 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 there is a lot out there for them, but they also it can be restricted in terms of if, if they own a lot of, of, of properties. 
And what I'd add to that as well is with the multiple properties in the background, the particular lender will also stress the whole portfolio. Correct, so similar yeah. to what we were talking about earlier, that whole portfolio has to meet their required stress test as well. Yeah. And what responsibilities do landlords have to fulfil regarding property standards and regulations, do you think? Um, so it varies with each local authority and council. Um, each will have their set criteria um, for what they require. Um, for example, if it's a HMO, a majority of local authorities will require a license, some don't. So for example, Colchester, where we're based, um, a HMO license is for four or more unrelated people over a three-storey property. Um, so if there's four tenants that are unrelated, but there's only two storeys, um, there'll be set rules that we'll need to have, um, for instance, thumb locks um, from the inside of the property, uh, smoke alarms, the basic stuff. Um, for mortgage um, applications, majority of lenders will require a minimum EPC, so an Entity Performance Certificate of a minimum rating of E. Um, the government are in talks, which again hasn't been set in stone that they want to increase that to C. Um, so that means a lot of landlords that are currently around there. The E kind of D um, rating, they might need to have double glazing, they might need a, a more efficient boiler. Um, so that's important to, to know, certainly from a mortgage um, related purpose. You'll also need, if it's got gas in the property, uh, a gas safety um, report. Um, so there has been a new um, rule that's come in where you need an EICR, which is an electrical installation condition report. They're valid for five years and each landlord has to have that now. So that's a fairly new rule that's come in. Um, and lastly, I'd always advise to speak to your local letting agent um, and your local authority because essentially they're going to be more clued up, one in the area, if you're new to the area investing in that particular area, mm. um, and they're going to have the knowledge that you may not have. Obviously in Colchester there's probably a few HMOs, isn't there, with it being obviously the university, etc., students mm. and, and whatnot. So... But yeah, as, as Rishi said, always speak to your local agent and I'm sure they'll be able to advise. Mm, brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. It's been great to have you. Thank no you. Worries. Thank you. Thank you. And for all you guys at home, if you did enjoy this episode, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe and we'll see you next time. Mm.